0: Happy Easter Resurrection Sunday. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see all you smiling faces. Y'all look nice. Turn your neighbor and say, you look good. You look good. If you're married to him, I'm trying to give you some bonus points here. You look good. Y'all look so pretty in the pastels. For any of you like myself from a Jewish background, Chag Sameach, Happy Pesach, Happy Passover. You're like, wait, there's... You got a Jewish pastor at a Christian church? Welcome to Greenhouse. It's gonna get exciting. Hey, why don't you stand on your feet with me? We're gonna celebrate Jesus and read. We've got some of our crew in Guyana. They're doing their first ever in-person Easter service. So one time, love y'all, Guyana crew. Michelle, our missions coordinator, and Ryan are there now. Very exciting, power-packed weekend. If you've got a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter two. That'll be our core text for the morning. If you do not have a Bible, all good we got you covered sky bible is up on the screen for your viewing enjoyment if you're ready say let's do this all right since you said so verse 13 paul is speaking to a church followers of jesus he said listen when you were dead in your sins god made you alive somebody say i'm alive I'm alive. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the charge against us, all of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and, he, and condemned us, and he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And here's where we're going to camp out this morning. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, death, hell in the grave, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This morning, I wanna talk about the triumph and the spectacle of the cross. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, speak to our hearts and remind us of your grace, your goodness, and your power. In Jesus' name, and if you agree, say amen. You can find your seats, give your neighbor a high five as you make your way down. If you're online, you can type in the chat, get ready. We are a people longing for hope. We're a people longing for hope. My father, Rabbi Neil Lash, that's right. He was a Messianic rabbi. Uh, Growing up, he was a Miami Hurricanes fan. Any Canes fans in the room? All right. Uh, but I'm happy to say that my father saw the light and he was converted and became a Florida Gators fan because we all know the sky is blue and the sun is orange. We know who God roots for, but that's not the point. Don't get me off topic. Anyways, when my dad's team was not playing the Hurricanes or the Gators, he loved to cheer for the underdog. Anybody else like cheering for the underdog, right? It's just like, okay, who do you wanna win? If it's not your team, you're like, well, who's not supposed to win? Well, that's who I wanna cheer for, right? If you're a basketball fan, any basketball fans in the room, right? If you're a basketball fan and you're watching March Madness and your team actually made it, shout out to the Canes for for UF and FSU. UF didn't even play and FSU was in a middle school league, I think, but that's whatever. So if your team wasn't playing, who were you rooting for this March Madness? St. Peter's, right? St. Peter's, this was like the, the Cinderella story of the March Madness tournament. They did not have a single ranked player coming out of high school. It was wild. Everyone's cheering for St. Peter's. Why? Because we all root for the underdog because we all feel like the underdog to some degree, right? Life is brutal and situations are challenging. And we can all relate to that moment of people said I couldn't. They told me I wouldn't. No one believed in me, but look at me now. We all like rooting for the underdog. We connect with that story. We're looking and longing for hope. It's great news, by the way, if you're a Dolphins fan, because we're the perennial underdog. So everyone's rooting for us, right? God help us. Thank you, Tyreek Hill. All right, I, I, I talk about it in relation to sports because I like sports, and I hope you do too. And that's okay if you don't. You're stuck listening to me talk about it anyways. But when it comes to life, it still applies. We're a people longing for hope. We're a people clinging to hope. This is true, is it not? But we live in a world surrounded by death. What do you do with this interesting dichotomy of the human experience that longs for hope and life and truth and beauty in a world surrounded by death and destruction and decay? We feel it quite viscerally in this season because this has been the last several years, well, it's been a season of of death death of loved ones for some of us, death of dreams for others, death of industries, death of supply chain, death of normalcy, death of toilet paper. Death and decay is all around us. It comes for us all, right? Death waits for no man or no woman. It's the principle of entropy. Everything is in a consistent and persistent state of decay. Yeah, well, that escalated quickly. So what do we do with this tension? Or to put it into question, how does hope survive in a world filled with death? I believe our passage this morning gives us the key to a life of thriving hope, even though you and I, we live and walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If you're taking notes, I've got two stopping points and we'll land this plane in time to watch the heat demolish the Atlanta Hawks. Come on, somebody. I know y'all are cheering for Jesus in short sermons, but I'll go with it. Point number one is this, death sometimes wins. Point number one is death sometimes wins. One of the things that I love about Jesus, as you've probably caught, I grew up, I'm from a Jewish background and fell in love with Jesus as rabbi, teacher, savior, and Lord. And one of the things that I love about Jesus that is different to me from any other religious system or trajectory is that Jesus always tells the truth even and including when the truth isn't very beautiful. One of the unique things about this potent weekend is that we don't just celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we also remember Good Friday, which is when Jesus literally died. I need you to know this, this really happened. This isn't some religious fairy tale. Historically and empirically, this man named Jesus who came from Nazareth and claimed to be the Messiah, he really did die in real life, in the flesh on the cross, and I know we can say it, and we've got you know, little, little pictures that we see that sort of adorn and get competed with bunnies and eggs, but, but we all have heard about the cross, and you've probably heard the phrase, Jesus died on the cross, or, or maybe it's your first time, but I, to get us, I wanna get us all on the same page about what that actually means. See, this, this thing called crucifixion was invented by Rome. The Roman Empire performed it thousands of times all throughout wherever their government ruled and reigned. It was an innovation in modern torture technique. It was invented, crucifixion and the cross was invented to enact the most pain for the longest duration of time. It was torture at its finest in the ancient world. In fact, crucifixion was such a tormenting death that no Roman citizen was even permitted to be crucified. It was legally forbidden but it was more than just capital punishment for a crime. This crucifixion was blood sport. It was to flex the muscles of the empire. They would do it in a public setting on a public road so that when anyone came by, it was not simply about the criminal who had done wrong, but anyone who would think to go against the Roman government, they were making their power and their cruelty on display for all to see. It was blood sport to flex the muscles of the empire and to entertain the masses without a colosseum and it was designed to reduce the criminals to subhuman shame. See, crucifixion, before it was being celebrated, was feared above maybe everything else, and it always attracted attention. There was nothing quite like living a, living, nailing a living human being to a dirty cross on a public thoroughfare to enact the eyeballs of the masses. It was crowd-pleasing, public shaming, a spectacle of death. Crucifixion had a goal, and the goal was not merely to execute the individual, but the reduction, torture, and humiliation, and ultimately the desire for an elimination of one's very humanity. To put it in a modern context, what likes are to a social media posts, the crowd's jeers were to a cross. And the crucifixion was not complete without the lascivious participation of the mockers and scoffers in the audience. It was a public spectacle of death and shame. And that's just from Rome's perspective. You throw in the Jewish perspective where there was a curse associated with anyone who was put up on a tree and you've got all cards stacked against this moment where Jesus the proposed Messiah goes up on this tree. Crucifixion was sport and theater, and horror and politics and torture, both physically and emotionally. It was utterly shameful to be made an absolute disgrace as a victim stood up there naked, utterly exposed for hours upon hours for all to see. I know it can seem like some abstract horror movie, but I want you to think for just a moment as we sit in this space and think about what Jesus really did what would it be like to be utterly exposed? To be made a public spectacle? You got it in your mind? That's, that's what happened to Jesus on the cross. But then something happened. It's really fascinating. This is the reality. I know maybe we don't we don't do this in modern day, but this is what everyone knew of the cross. This is what everyone knew when it comes to this spectacle of crucifixion, but something happened. And here's a question that I've been wrestling with for months now, because it really is fascinating. How did the public spectacle, the cross of death, and fear and torture and shame 2,000 years later be the very thing that's put up on a stage to give people hope and joy and peace. Think about that. I mean, this was the ultimate fear tactic. All you have to do is hearken to the thought of the cross and the ancient world is trembling in their boots and peeing their emotional pants. 2,000 years later, what happened? Multitudes had been brutally fastened to this execution tree before, because, but this one was different. Why? Because of who got on it. If point number one is that death sometimes wins, point number two is that Jesus conquers death. Whew, you can breathe. This is a good news part. You can catch your breath now. You ever judged a situation before it was completely over? You ever been there before? My wife and I have two kids. My my wife is from a Puerto Rican background. She's Puerto Rican. I'm Jewish. So we got two little Jew-Rican babies running around. That's what you get when you get a Puerto Rican and a Jew who get married. And so our oldest little Jew-Rican, his name is Liam. He's five years old. And this boy is sometimes too clever for his own good. I remember one uh, evening around dinner time, he was being particularly cantankerous and uh, and not wanting to behave. And he was playing with some little toy that he had gotten. And so we like to sit around the dinner table at evening all together, and we do these games. You heard about the question game last week. And so we were trying to get everyone together. We're like Liam, it's time to come to the table. And he's like, oh, and he's playing with his toy." I said, "Son, you need to come to the dinner table right now, or I'm going to take your toy away." He did not come to the dinner table, and so, true to my word, I took the toy away, at which he exclaimed, Dad, that's my toy, and you can't take it. Ooh. And I felt like it was a, a very apropos time to take him, teach him a spiritual lesson. I said, son, sit down. Everything I, you have is mine see this house son who paid for this house did you pay for this house it's not yours it's mine you see the clothes on your back who paid for the clothes did you pay for them or did i it's mine you see this dinner table did you pay and i just went on and my wife was just like wow so i had to take it spiritual i said it's nothing we have is ours either you got to make it spiritual now to rescue yourself I'm like, it all belongs to god and I went in and I talked about stewardship and how nothing we have is ours, but it all belongs to God. Like his toy doesn't belong to him. My stuff doesn't belong to me. It's all about God. And he's looking there and I'm like, and he, and we, I get done and I'm like, I look over Nancy and I'm like, you see that babe? Cause nothing's sexier than a parent parenting in Jesus name. I felt great about the whole encounter. I was like, this is awesome. Until after dinner. I'm taking our, our youngest, Lucia, she's two years old and I'm getting her ready for bed and we're getting PJs on and I hear my wife in the background getting my son ready and one of the things we have them do is they have the beginnings of chores is they have to put their cup and their plate away. And so I overhear my wife saying, Liam, good job eating dinner, buddy. Go put your cup in the sink to which he retorted, mom, everything I have is yours. It's not my cup, it's your cup, so you have to put it in the sink. Is this true? Can't make this stuff up. And I thought he was gonna die, but I didn't, I'm like, I can't discipline the kid, that was good. That was good. I I remember this moment where I thought it went one way, could come to find out, it turned out an entirely different way and surprised me, quite literally. Remember the cross, it's this spectacle. Specifically, it's a spectacle of death. It's a symbol of Rome's oppressive power. And it was not just Rome celebrating in this moment when Jesus was crucified on the cross. We find here in Colossians two, that in fact, the devil and all of his minions, all of hell was rejoicing as well. Why? Because they thought they beat God. This is what the scripture tells us. Like they're there celebrating. They thought they did it. They thought they won. If you judged it by a Friday, it looked like business as usual in the Roman empire, another public spectacle and yet another unjust punishment. Jesus looks like a failure, like just another failed Messiah. No one stayed with him. His closest followers fell away. The path that began with huge crowds has now dwindled into a devastated mama and a few weeping women. And rock star notoriety has withered into shameful execution. If you judged it by Saturday, All hope is lost. Jesus is gone, he's dead, he's buried, he's in the grave, never to be heard from again. But that was not the end of this public spectacle, why? Because Sunday was coming. And by early Sunday morning, just like Jesus said, he cleared out the grave and changed everything, everything. Look at what it says in Colossians 2. It says, Jesus, having disarmed the powers and the authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. I wanna highlight two words of this simple verse because it's potent. He disarmed and he triumphed over them. Here's the incredible news of Resurrection Sunday and why if you're not a Jesus follower, maybe not from a faith background or a Christian background, we get so excited about this day because contrary to the plans of Rome and contrary to the plans of hell, it was not Jesus being made a spectacle on that Friday it was the powers and authorities of death hell and the grave that were being made the spectacle Jesus did not lose he triumphed through death To go back to the original question, how did the ultimate symbol of depression and despair and death and oppression, the cross, become the ultimate symbol of joy, peace, and life? And here's my big idea, and I would would jot this down if you're taking notes. This will save your life and change your life. How did it happen? Because everything Jesus gets his hands on comes alive. How did this happen that this symbol of death and torture and torment becomes a symbol of life and peace and hope for so many across cultures and continents for thousands and thousands of years because everything Jesus gets his hands on comes alive. This is what the cross did. It flipped everything. Literally human history is cut in half BC and AD because of what Jesus did on this cross. Rome is exposed and sinners are redeemed. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the great news that we celebrate and we're reminded about every single Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday. The gospel takes shame and turns it on its head. It takes regret and pain and guilt and filth and wasted years and despair and utterly turns it upside down. This is why you will have someone wear one of these crosses on their neck or tattoo it on their body. They are not tattooing other forms of capital punishment, right? Only the cross. Not because of what it represents, but because of who transformed it for eternity. Because the cross of Jesus is unlike any other. Friends, this wasn't just another execution. This wasn't just another death, another cross, another spectacle, it was the Son of God once and for all conquering death, sin, and shame, and it surprised everybody. All of hell included. Check this out. Verse 15 and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in this." That the language here, the metaphor here, the picture that he paints is a picture of a celebration happening where the devil and all of his minions are like, we did it. They're over there singing, we are the champions. They're all pumped and excited because they thought they won. And then Jesus gets back up and they realize, oh snap. We just helped him redeem all of humanity is what we just did. It's this really interesting picture. By the way, I, this, is, this one's for free here. Um, I, I need us to realize what's happening. In the moment of crucifixion, while someone is up being crucified, the ones cheering and celebrating are hell and the demons. In a, just, just to make the parallels here in modern day, in a culture that publicly crucifies people, Beware who you're celebrating with, that'll preach. Hell and all the demons were the ones celebrating at the cross as someone was being publicly crucified. Jesus and all of heaven had plans for resurrection and redemption. And in a culture that publicly crucifies people on social media and all throughout display, I'm not saying there's not consequences for bad actions and I'm not saying you don't hold people accountable. I'm just saying the heart of the people of God and the heart of God himself is for redemption and resurrection. Demons and hell cheers for when people are crucified. Which crowd are you celebrating with? I'm gonna leave that one right there. Whoo! It says they Disarmed. Colossians 2 says they dis, he, Jesus disarmed all the powers of hell and death and sin and the grave. It gives this picture, remember, the, the, the human hero in the story, the human figure in the story enacting their might was Rome. Mighty Rome with all of its army and armament and muscles and power, unleashing fury on all they could conquer completely disarmed. This is the picture that we're given by Paul of what Jesus did on the cross. He disarmed the enemy of our souls. Think about that. What would it look like in your life if all the enemies of your soul were disarmed? If all sin was forgiven? If all guilt and shame were gone? You say, I appreciate the, the inspiration. Pastor, you are sweating and glistening, and I'm glad you're pumped, but you don't know my situation. For me, all hope is dead. The situation's over, it's already done, it's already finished, it's a fat lady already saying, which is a weird expression. It's done. And I would propose to you a reminder of what we are celebrating in this current moment. You might feel like the situation or the relationship or the expectation is dead, but this morning we celebrate what? Life from the dead. I'm telling you, everything and anything that Jesus gets his hands on comes alive. A family, a career, a marriage, a child, an organization, a church, everything Jesus gets his hands on comes alive which is why we celebrate this morning, Jesus conquering death. So the reality of our story, so many of us in this room from different cultural backgrounds and different generational backgrounds are celebrating one thing, because the reality of our story and really the reality of history is, it all depends on whose hands it's in. Let me tell you what I mean. If you put a tennis racket in my hands, I might be able to give you a fly swatter, give you a little bit of wind in your face and maybe return a serve. But if you put a tennis racket in the hands of Serena Williams, yeah, you've got 23 Grand Slam titles, the most ever and two Olympic gold medals. Why? Because it all depends on whose hands it's in. You put a basketball in my hands, I might be able to cross you over once, make a layup and then I'll be tired. But if you put a basketball in the hands of Steph Curry, you've got a two-time league MVP and three NBA championships and the most three-pointers made in all of NBA history, because it all depends on whose hands it's in. You put a baseball bat in my hands, I'm not gonna hit the ball. I am embarrassingly bad at baseball, all right? I might be able to give you a little bit of wind and hopefully I don't let go of it by accident. You put a baseball bat, any baseball fans out there, Okay, like six of y'all. That's awesome. That's awesome. I feel your pain. It's us in hockey. We're holding on strong. You put a baseball bat in the hands of Mike Trout, and you've got an eight-time All-Star, a three-time American League MVP, and a seven-time Silver Slugger Award because it all depends on whose hands it's in. You put a slingshot in my hands, and I might be able to, as a kid, get the squirrels away from my mom's bird feeder. Maybe a true story. But you put a slingshot in the hands of a little boy named David and you get a Goliath named giant who's defeated and an army of Israel that's rescued and an entire nation that is restored and saved with hope for the future because it all depends on whose hands it's in. And if you put some nail and wood in my hands, I might be able to build you a janky birdhouse and end up with a blue thumb at the end of it all but you put a nail and wood in the hands of Jesus and you've got the redemption of humanity. You've got hope for the future. You've got an opportunity for life, new life and resurrection from the dead because it all depends on whose hands it's in. Here's my prayer, church. If you're a follower of Jesus, be reminded this morning that even if you feel like all hope is lost and it's dead and gone, Jesus conquered death, which means if he rose, you rise. And if he conquered, you conquer. He says, listen, don't be discouraged. I've overcome the world. Here's my call today that we would behold the cross, the wonderful cross, the spectacle of death, that by the resurrection of Jesus is forever speaking hope into seemingly hopeless situations, why? Because wherever Jesus is invited in, this is so true, Wherever Jesus is invited in, he brings resurrection and life. We see it all throughout the gospels, the true accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Wherever Jesus shows up, dead things come alive. Wherever Jesus shows up, things resurrect. So many of us, this is our story. We were stuck, we were trapped, we were hopeless, we were despondent, and then Jesus stepped in. And it's not like everything changed, but everything changed. You know what I mean? We changed. Life changed. Our hearts changed. You go throughout the New Testament. Jesus gets invited to a wedding, and and there's a crisis, and they don't have wine, which would have been utter shame and despondency for the family, and then Jesus shows up. And what does he do? He turns water into wine and shame into joy. Jesus gets invited to this dinner thrown by a tax collector. He was a cheat. He was a scammer, he was oppressing his own people, turning his back on everyone he knew. And Jesus steps in and shows up at this dinner and what does he do? He turns a cheat into a justice advocate. Jesus gets invited to a funeral and where there's terror and torment and weeping For a life snuffed out too quickly and tragically short, Jesus shows up and he clears out the casket and turns a funeral into a celebration of new life and resurrection, redemption. Why? Because wherever Jesus goes, he changes things. And guess what? He's the same Jesus today. He's the same one who did it then. He's the same one who will do it now, yesterday, today, and forever. Anything and everything you invite Jesus into comes alive. He just has a way. here's my prayer today. Whether you're watching online, you're here in the room, you're over there in Guyana, my prayer today is that you would invite him in or invite him in again. Worship team, you guys can come up. We're gonna close in a chorus in just a moment. I'm gonna close with this story. I was reminded of a friend of mine who is now 97 years old at Greenhouse in Gainesville named Bud Taylor. I remember as a college student, I went up to Gainesville and I met, Bud Taylor. He had recently retired, and and he just had a uh, one of those. People that if you ever met someone, it doesn't matter their age, they've just got that sparkle in their eye and it's just clear they're alive. Like life has not beaten the joy and the zest out of them. They're, they're still there. And I remember meeting Bud and he was, he was a country guy and, and he just loved any chance he got to pray with or encourage college students. He just loved it. We would have like prayer people like we'll have at the very end of service, line up at the front, prayer partners. And, and I remember he'd be up there and if a college student started walking, he'd like push people out of the way to go and pray with them. Like he, sweet man, Bud Taylor. I remember sitting down with him one time as I was a college student. I said, bud, tell me your story. He said, well, you know, 50 years ago, I I, I was not a Jesus follower and... And I remember it was Easter Sunday and I thought about it because with the Easter connection, he said it was Easter Sunday and, and uh, I, I, my mom was trying to get us to go to church. My dad wasn't really a church goer, but my mom really wanted us to go as a family. And so she was trying to get everyone ready to go. He said, and I did not want to go to church. Church was boring. Church was too long. I did not want to go. So I fought it and I fought it. Some of you were like, I'm, I'm feeling flashbacks right now of my day. Lord have mercy. I gotta go repent to my kids after this, amen. And and he was like, I was just being horrible. And finally my mom just gave up and she said, listen, you stay home with your older sister, I'm gonna go to church. And he thought, sweet. And as soon as mom walked out the door, he said, my older sister turned around and started preaching to me. (laughs) He said, apparently she decided she'd have her own Easter service. And she starts talking about Jesus and, and, and the resurrection. And she says, Bud, do you know what this, this means? And she called him Buddy. She said, Buddy, do you realize what this holiday's all about? And she starts talking to him, and he said, She drew this line in the carpet. You know it's like old school, real thick carpets. She drew this line in the carpet. And finally she said, in her culminating altar call, this little girl, she said, Buddy, whose side are you on? The Lord's side or the other side? Pretty good, right? He said, and I, I know it sounds foolish right now, but I remember that moment and it, it hit my heart. He said, and I remember standing there and I felt the weight of this moment. And I had heard about Jesus and I didn't want anything to do with him. But in that moment, I knew it was true and it was real. And, and it was the hardest decision I feel like I've ever had to make. And I stood right on the cut precipice of that line. And I finally said, and I crossed the line. And he said, yeah. He said, in that moment, it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders and I was free. And I was thinking about that this morning because that's my story. I remember a moment where I was an absolute punk. I'm still a punk, but I mean like absolute punk. And I came to the end of my ropes and the summer before my senior year of high school, I came to this dividing line where I had to decide whose side am I on? Am I on the Lord's side or the other side? Got a chance to hear from Bud, he's 97 years old today. He just led a teenager to the Lord last month. Yeah, 97 years old, still going strong, fire still in his eyes, passion still in his heart. I'm like, Bud, when I grow up, I wanna be like you. Why, because Jesus is just that good. You talk about a vision for life, man. He said, he's still got that fire. Why, because Jesus has transformed his heart the reality is for those of you that walk with jesus he continues to keep transforming our heart over and over and over again because he's just that good he's just that patient he's just that loving he's just that merciful and he's just that kind and here's my prayer you have an opportunity today to do exactly what bud did back then as a kid to cross the line To make that decision to say jesus your lord and i invite you in my life feels like a mess and my life feels broken and my life feels somewhat hopeless but if you can do in my life what a lot of these people seem really excited about that you did in their life why not come on in take control do your thing i'm gonna have our prayer partners come up here in just a moment and and I want you to imagine with me that imaginary line drawn on the carpet right here in front of this stage. And we're about to stand to our feet in just a moment and sing out this final chorus and celebrate what Jesus has done. But if you need to cross the line of faith to make Jesus's sacrifice, not just real out there, but personal in here, as soon as we start to sing, I wanna invite you to come forward. Matter of fact, why don't we stand to our feet right now? And if I could get our prayer partners to line the front up here. We've got some amazing people that are just real and ordinary and down to earth and they've experienced life and they're gonna be up here. As soon as we sing this final chorus, if you need to cross the line of faith to make Jesus Lord and leader and savior and forgiver, maybe for the first time or maybe it's been a while, but it's time to come home. I'm praying you would come home. I'm praying you'd enter into right relationship with God, that you would be at peace, sin and shame disarmed, the enemy of your soul's silence. It's time to come home and find resurrection, hope and life in Jesus. So as we sing this final chorus together, if you're there online, there are people waiting there in the chat, they would love to pray with you and encourage you in your faith journey. And if you're here in the room, as soon as we start to sing, you're welcome to come forward. Why don't you join us as we close in worship?
1: Just pay all to. Jesus, for you,
0: Sing it to him, church. Oh, to him
1: Sin had left the crimson stain. He
0: watched the wise. In just a moment, we're gonna dismiss. But if you came here feeling stuck if you came here feeling trapped if you came here feeling the weight of life and the pressures of life at a spot where you feel like i just can't go on like this any longer there's great news you don't have to before you go we got a a photo booth out there to take pictures you got the kids you got your roommates looking good go ahead and prove it to somebody before you go out and hang out a little bit and connect get some snacks take a picture We'd love to pray with you, encourage you, answer any questions you have about your faith journey. I'll just be sticking around here along with some of our team. Give God a shot. Church, I pray the Lord would bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, shalom, perfect peace, wholeness and wellness in every aspect of your being. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you church, you guys are amazing. Happy Resurrection Sunday. I hope I get to see a lot of your faces and hug a lot of your necks before you go. We'll see you next week here at Western and in our micro churches all week long, God bless you.